Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Anthony, Mr. Big Deals Only, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you. So, um, where do we start? I mean, if people follow you on Instagram, they probably already have a vibe and understand what you're about and what you do. But for those who don't know you, who are you? Uh, I think first of all, I've got to say I'm a father. I'm a husband. Um, I suppose I'm just your average or positive guy. So I don't think I'm... I guess I look at myself in terms of my relations to people in a way I suppose so that's the sort of home personal real Anthony if you like and then the other side of the things in terms of work I'm a developer and I'm working on various projects from student accommodation co-living that sort of thing so yeah okay and so you're a developer a lot of people say they're property investors right mm. what's the difference between a property investor which is what I probably call myself and a developer like you Good question. So an investor is someone just uh, that puts up the money. So an investor is um, if you've got 50 grand to invest and you put that into a house and you're considered an investor. If you put that into a house and you rent that house house out, um, then you could be considered a, a, a investor and landlord. Um, if you're a, somebody that invests and then takes that money and then does work to a property in terms of like a refurb or a new build, then you can be classed as a developer. So there's a lot of different elements, but then sometimes it mixes in. If you're if you're a landlord that buys a, a rundown property, if you're an investor that buys a rundown property and then you rent it out at the end once you've done work to it, then you're in effect, a, in effect an investor, landlord and developer. So okay. actually just um, it varies, doesn't it? That's so let's go back to when you first started in property. How long ago was it? And what, what, were, you, what were you doing before property, before you became your own boss per se? Uh, I was a student. I was a full-time student at uh, Leicester Uni. I had a part-time job whilst I was at uni in Asda. And um, that's it. And I started a lettings company during uni. And by the time I graduated, I decided to do it full-time. So I had a sort of base of clients. I had clients that I was working with whilst I was a student. When I went full-time, I said, look, I'm doing it full-time now. Let's get going. And it kind of went from there. How, as a student, most students are drinking, partying, eating, not really thinking about side businesses, especially not one that has maybe as much legislation or complexities, at least to an outsider, as lettings. How how did you get into lettings and why lettings and what gave you the confidence to do it? In terms of the legislation side, I guess it's my sort of ignorance one and just me thinking I can find tenants for landlords that need tenants and Hopefully, I can make some money in the middle there. In terms of, um, what's your question? How I came up with it, or how do you have the confidence to just do it? Confidence, I've honestly just, uh, without coming across as arrogant, I've never lacked com- confidence. So I've got a, what I like to think anyway, a high level of self-efficacy. I think I can pretty much achieve and do anything that I put my mind to, without sounding cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So in terms of confidence, of good, always a good level of confidence. And I'm also, I'm not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to fail, but I'm prepared to fail. I'm, prefer, I'm prepared to lose. Um, clearly to win big, you've got to be prepared to lose big and ideally protect the downside. So I guess doing that, the letting stuff was just... And that, look, at that stage, there's not much for me to lose, really. I'm a student. Yeah. If, they, if it doesn't go well, if I don't find tenants for someone, I just lose their yeah. time, don't I? So it's, there's not, there wasn't too much um, risk there. But yeah, you're right. Most students are, are out partying or studying, doing yeah. work. Studying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I did a bit of I did a bit of everything. Um, I didn't really drink, but um, I, de- I definitely a bit of studying, a bit of work. I, I guess I was just always trying to have an extra side income and work out how I can have a yeah. business. I've always been interested in business, so it was just another. It was just an opportunity that came along that I thought, hang on, maybe there's a way for me to earn some money here. And then you went full time into your own business. And how long did you run that for? seven years also from the time I left uni to uh, actually to to be fair from second year when I started to now it's been nine years but it was seven years before um, between the period I started and stopped to then work on large development projects and did you sell it or is it still going or no I just I handed back properties we're doing um, lettings management rent to rent so I was just handing back all these properties it took me a quite a while to do some of it was mid-contract so it's quite difficult so it took a probably took at least two years to achieve slowly hand back properties and stuff it's quite challenging and basically um so that that, that was seven years and then two you know two, two years, years ago wow i started working on the big stuff but it took a little while to try and get to that and then what gave you the kind of uh what was the inspiration to then say, right, I'm going to let go of lettings and actually start buying and investing in property myself full time? But over the course of being in lettings and management, I worked out it took the same amount of time. It took the same amount of um, uh, resources to let a manager a property that you don't own. And so you're making a, a lot less money. You're making a maybe 10% if you're lucky as, as, a, as a managing agent, you're making 10% of the rental. And then obviously you make some of the fees that reduced. Sorry, they've taken away tenant fees now. So these yeah. agents are making even less. So there's a lot of work involved. And when I compared it to, to even a rent to rent, I made a lot more money in a rent to rent. There was a lot more cash flow, And it was exactly the same work. Exactly the same work. <laughs> obviously the risk was different. That was the difference, the risk profile. So if it didn't work out, the burden would be on me and my company. Um, if the risk doesn't work out on the property you've managed and it's generally on the landlord so you kind of reduced um, risk somewhat if you're not doing it with your own sort of property that you're directly respons- responsible for uh, but again you've got to play the risk with the re- reward haven't you so there's, that's all part of the profile um, so that's how it worked in terms of that okay and then so what what did you start off with in property investment what was your first deal in terms of actually buying uh, or in terms of rent to rent, do both. Do the first one you rent to rent, and the first one you bought. Rent to rent was actually, uh, I'm, I'm almost certain it was this. Do you know, I've, I've done so many of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this was the first one. Uh, it was actually a four bed house. It was in an area for students in Leicester, 
and uh, it was a bedroom downstairs, three bedrooms upstairs, it was a lounge, um, so you standard terraced, three bedrooms upstairs, student house, and we were letting this out first for the landlord actually. I, I went to a, a property networking event in Birmingham, and as I sat there, so I went there thinking, maybe I can get some clients here that I can work with landlords and maybe they can become a client and do some lettings and management for them. Got there and there was a guy up there up front presenting and he was talking about, yep, so I rented property from my landlord for X amount and I then rent it out myself once I've rented it from the landlord and I made X amount per month. And I was sitting there and I was just, you know, it was just, my mind was blown. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God. This thing's been staring in my face the whole time. Right, I've funny, been, literally. Yeah, exactly. Whilst I've been doing these lettings and management the whole time, and I could have been making a lot more money. I've been running around, working my arse off. So I went back that evening and uh, started emailing some, some of my clients and said, this is what I can do. And then straight away, I probably got about three clients that were like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, interested. So this one landlord, that, that first house, um, he actually owned a few. I put it to him straight away. He was like, yep, yeah, I can do it. Um, I'm up for that. I'd actually never met him in person. Um, so we signed the lease electronically. It was done through DocuSign. And the tenants, we secured the tenants. They were from, um, they were international students. So we secured the tenants without them viewing the property first. We showed them pictures. So we'd been to the property. We just yeah, had yeah, never yeah. met the landlord. Um and so it was, uh, so the, the lease was signed electronically, the tenants were signed up electronically from a distance and uh, we got the rent to rent that way. So I got the landlord to meet the oh, tenants wow. at the property when they were moving in. So I'm based in Birmingham, that's in Leicester. Landlord met the tenants and then it's done. So you sat at your computer basically and got a rent to rent? It was a virtual rent to rent. <laughs> the first deal was virtual. That is sweet. I didn't realise until like yeah, for me yeah. it's a normal part of what I was doing but when yeah. I thought about it years later I was like actually that was a virtual deal yeah because right now doing rent to rents I think it's very difficult unless you have a lettings agent to do it virtually most people are seeing oh, well, it like this I, I, you know. I don't really hear of people doing it virtually yeah but I think when you're I think when you're and again it's ignorance isn't it but for me I was just thinking well it's a bit long winded for me to go there yeah, and yeah. if he's already based in Leicester the property's in Leicester the tenants are ready to move there why doesn't he meet them, leave the spare keys for me so I've got my landlord set? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it worked. worked that makes out. Sense. And it worked well. Yeah, well. I had that property for at least four or five years. Wow. Yeah, worked well. And then what was the first one you purchased? It's a student house. So it was a um, four bed house, turned it into six bedrooms, and um, yeah. That in Birmingham? Birmingham, yeah. And how did you fund that? Was this for your own money from... Savings. Yeah, so saved up some money. And so you, the first property you bought was an HMO, but obviously you were comfortable with this. But it, wasn't a, it wasn't a HMO to begin with. It was a... Was okay, but you house. made it into one, right? Exactly. But you were comfortable with that because you'd done it before. Oh, yeah, exactly. So let's imagine, you know, back years ago, it wasn't as stringent as it is now. Obviously now it's um, four tenants, isn't it? Four tenants... Uh, sorry, five or more tenants in a house, it's got to be fully licensed and all that sort of stuff. Years ago, it wasn't like that at all. So you could just pretty much, 
and what they did, what everyone did, was you'd have a house and you just rent it to students, and that was it, or you'd rent it to a group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. Obviously, there were certain fire regulations, it had to be safe, hmm. but in terms of um, fire doors and that sort of thing, it, it wasn't done. It wasn't done. It's it crazy to think that, that it's such a recent thing because you think that they would have. The, the councils and government would have thought this ages ago to protect humans living in the house. Like it's just weird to think they weren't. It develops over it. time, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the way that it develops over time. So I guess over time, when you've had a lot of people living in a house together, and then you've seen all these issues come together, and yeah. it's like, hang on, there's fire issues. Mm. There's um, landlords renting out really tiny spaces, so these tenants aren't getting a very good experience, so it's not very comfortable. Yeah. So there's minimum room sizes now. There's, um, you know, you've got to make sure you've got insulin smoke alarm system, fire doors, yeah, door yeah, closers, yeah. Um, again, in case of fire. So I guess it's... Um, it's evolved. I, it's it's evolved. Problems, I think yeah. that's just with everything. That's just with everything in life and anything to do with legislation, um, legislation or business, it just evolves over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great thing to make more money, isn't it? <laughs> of course. So, so you had you know these rent to rents. You were letting's agent. You you had this student house. How did you then sort of move to where you are now? Uh, I was on a. I'll give you the shortest short story. Yeah, I basically, um, found a deal. A site that I thought was a a good deal. And, um, and I, oh, if I go a little further back, I'd always looked at these sort of deals. And again, this hopefully actually this may help some of your listeners because I know your listeners are, um, you've got a broad range of you. So let me try and put myself back into those shoes. Um, I always thought to myself, I, I wanted to do a bigger deal. It, it, I knew I had it in me. Um, I just didn't really understand how to do it. And so it was really just making that leap, and I and I I did what plenty of people do now, and it's pretty embarrassing if I think about it now. It's just you find a property, potential property online, you take the link, you send it to somebody, and go little JV, and you're very unlikely to get a response and or to to get anything that works like that. So the way I did it, I uh, found a deal first, a, a site that I thought was a potential deal. It was when you deal. say site, you mean land? It was an industrial building. Okay, so just okay, site, yeah. Yeah, so industrial building, it was pretty, um, not in the best condition, but it was in a good location. I thought this would be good for student accommodation. Next door had been approved for student accommodation. This is Birmingham. Birmingham, so that has some precedent there. And so I thought, look, let me, let me try and do a deal on this. So I found the owner, contacted the owner. Turns out he was still interested in selling. So I agreed, it, agreed a deal to, to um, buy it. So I was meant to initially do an option agreement mm-hmm. to purchase it. So that option agreement would have allowed me um, time to go and get a planning um, planning permission on it at yeah. my cost. But last minute he changed it and said he wanted to do uh, an unconditional deal. Oh, okay. So he then instead changed to a, an exchange of delayed completion. Okay. Still worked fine. So then during that period of, uh, so it's a 12 month delay. So to you, you exchanged then. You said fine, happy to do it. I said fine. Yeah. And yeah. how much did you, what was the purchase price you agreed? 400k. So you gave him a 10% exchange? No. Five, uh, five grand. That's what he wanted. But I guess he wanted the security. We'd, we'd agreed, we had agreed five. 
So when we were doing the option agreement, um, he didn't want to do the option agreement at first. Okay. And I said, look, what if I give you some cash? And um, he said, okay, fine. And then we came to this figure, five grand. He might have suggested more. Uh, but obviously there's risk from my side in terms of putting in the application. There's, I of course, yeah. I need to be yeah. another 50, 60, 70 plus K to spend from my side. Um, but uh, So anyway, so that was the agreement that we came to on that specific deal. And uh, then he changed it last minute so he wanted it unconditional. And because of, you know, I sort of weighed up the area and the risk profile, it made sense to do it. So was it low risk in your eyes? Um, it helped that the site next door had been approved. Okay. And that we had some um, initial talks with obviously architects and stuff. So we had a, a good idea that um, we could get planning basically. So, and worst case scenario, the purchase price wasn't, you know, there's a plan B, there were tenants yeah. already there. So worst case scenario, if we did have to buy it, then we could rent the property out. And again, there's, you know, there's five grand on the line. So there's, it's all, yeah. it's all, part and parcel um so did 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 the deal base so last minute changed he said he wanted it unconditional so i said fine five grand remained the same and how big was the site uh, i can't remember but it's big yeah still got it it's been demolished now oh uh, i think it's also on instagram may, yeah probably yeah yeah because that build that deal's been going on a while mm. um I, I started working on that deal back in I think I went to view it for the first time back in March 2017. Oh wow! Okay. It just takes a you know this this the, the larger deals in the development game is a it's a longer process, mm. a lot more long winded, but you know it's high risk high rewards as as as, as you know. So um, that's pretty much it. And then during that process, that ten, that twelve month process, got planning. So planning was and what were you? What was your original thought to to build? There was was it student accommodation? Yeah, so it was definitely students. I was thinking potentially would it be a part new build, part conversion. I wasn't um, entirely sure. I am um, brought in an experienced developer, so a developer that I he was actually one of my old clients. Oh. So I brought him into the deal and um, basically said, "Do you want to come in? I found the deal. Do you want to come into the deal? We'll go 50-50. Um, he came and had a look. He was game. So we went to the pub, typical, <laughs> on a napkin. Of course, the best business deals. Wrote out the numbers and what it would cost and the risks and blah, blah, blah. We're like, yeah, done, deal. <laughs> so I agreed a deal in the pub. And, and um, what, what was he bringing to the table? Uh, well, he bought me lunch that day. <laughs> so that I mean, that that does that, help, yeah. I'm yeah, not going to lie, yeah. No, but, uh, well, he's got experience, so we so took equal to risk. Financially, it was equal risk. Okay. Uh, but also we, you couldn't lend necessarily without him like some lenders are a bit tricky oh, in terms of development yeah. I probably would have struggled yeah yeah. so he, I guess he was your host in a way that allowed you to get finance oh, partner maybe. okay partner yeah so um, I, people do use mortgage hosts aren't they that's usually their names they're not on yeah. it but, no, but so he was an actual proper JV with it oh proper yeah partner 50-50 down the line we both owned we set up a new company SPV 50-50, both directors. And what, what made you go with student as opposed to, I don't know, like just normal new build for professionals or families or something like that, like a, a block of flats? Well, first of all, my eyes were open to students because that's what I've been doing for, sort of, I've been doing for the prior seven years. So I knew the student market very well. Mm -hmm. I knew which areas would work. I knew how to, how to 
what way to design them, how it would appeal, you know, in terms of design, um, facilities, features, location needed, everything relating to students I understood because that was my market and Birmingham is obviously a market that I'm active in. So it just made sense. So when that opportunity stood out, it all sort of, my working knowledge of the field uh, geared me towards that's the best route for this particular deal. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So you got it on exchange with delayed completion. Mm. You mentioned before that it might, you said you at the time you thought it may cost you 50 to 70 grand in fees for planning. So how much did planning cost you? In the end, we got outline planning at first for... You know, we've had a few changes. It was, I think it was 61 studios. Okay. Purpose built. Shit, kind of, you know, nature studios. So we got outline planning for 61. Okay. Uh, up to that point, probably cost 60K. And then so we had to... Hold on, to get outline planning, it cost you 60,000 pounds. Yeah, it's about that. It's not cheap. What 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 was the cost actually for? Who were you paying that to? Um, so what are those costs? What's yeah. it made up of? Yeah. It's made up of architect fees, Let's say architect fees. I'm gonna obviously I can't remember the exact figures. <laughs> I've done a few of these now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say architect fees are in the region of thirty k. Jeez. Okay. Uh, let's say consultant. So you need all these other surveys. So you need a noise survey. Mm-hmm. So that um, I'll just name survey. Noise survey, transport statement, maybe a travel plan. You need um, planning statement. You need student accommodation. Uh, needs assessment so report on the market what else is required you need let's have a think it's pretty hefty then you're going to need some input from M&E structural engineer because they want to make sure that the initial design is drawn up by the architects is feasible so you don't have to be making changes and amendments later so you've got to pay for that Uh, you might need to do a utility search so there's a a bunch of costs that come that just come into it and then obviously the the planning fees are not cheap either. To, to the council. To the yeah, council. so the planning fees to the council are expensive as well. So planning fees were at least, I think it was at least 15k just for the planning fees. It's expensive. And planning departments aren't that, you know, that quick, should we say. No, that took 10 months. And you're supposed to get your application determined in 13 weeks once you've submitted it. You've got So you've got to supply all this information pay for all these reports, get your architects involved, noise, um, structure, whoever it is, involved transport, pay all the fees, and then at the point you submit, then it's supposed to be 13 weeks. But There's nothing you can do to complain or... Oh, you, you can complain. But <laughs> It's a funny little process, isn't it? You can complain. Who are you going to complain to? The same people that are determining your application <laughs> or that need to recommend it for approval or refusal to the planning committee. So you, so it's a, it's a funny so scenario to be in, isn't it? You're, so this, you're dealing with the planning department that you want them to recommend. So on, so the stuff I'm dealing with, nine times out of ten, it's going to go to the planning committee because it's a major application. Okay. Sometimes a council may do it under what's called delegated powers. So they can internally decide that that okay, without that that approval. But that's extremely rare, and so larger contentious potential applications. That, goes to a planning committee once it's been through the planning process so at that enjoy that planning process you need your planning officer your main contact and they work with their colleagues on the application they consult um, 
you need them to recommend it for approval. If you don't get it recommended for approval, then the committee is a lot less likely to to approve it. I see. So, it's so you're, a, you're geared towards... It's like politics, basically. It's 100%. Yeah. That's so ridiculous. Sadly. Sadly. And, they and this, is, this is a lot of the problems that people complain about the planning process, and it's yeah. true. It's quite rigid, bureaucratic, a lot of red tape, and it's not straightforward. There's, if we're honest, and this is not to make a dig at anyone because I want some approvals. <laughs> but it, it, it comes down to individual preference and it, it, it's very clear and it, if everyone's straightforward about it, that's what it is. So one planning officer may not think the height is acceptable for that building in that specific location. Okay. They may say, no, 10 floors is the max that's acceptable. And someone else go, actually, I think 12 stories is acceptable. And then that's two floors could be worth millions of yeah, pounds yeah, worth yeah. of GDV and also <clears throat> impact the viability of the scheme. Of so course. that those two floors could mean potentially you can't go ahead because there's not enough profit in it or margin in it to but that's you know that doesn't necessarily come into You know that. what I think these, it's so good you're saying this because these are big risks potentially and they're big Huge. money losses that I think a lot of people aren't told these or taught these by say courses or by other people who are doing it kind of give the oh I made half a mil on one deal but it's like yeah but you literally like you what had grey hairs you got wrinkles after it you're, you're like <laughs> in debt like people don't talk about the realities of it or they don't talk about oh I had four things rejected at the planning then I had one approved yeah. so it's good that you share these challenges with planning like how do you cope with the uncertainty and it's like a mindset question when you're waiting 10 months for something that you're like okay I can't do anything about this like, how do you cope? I think you, you've got to make sure you've got a great team around you. So all the consultants and your architects, whoever you're using, they're a great team. Planning consultant, they know what they're doing. So in conjunction with them, you make sure you're putting a good case forward. And then keep great relations with the, the planning officer. So it's all geared towards treading sort of carefully, but also trying to get them on board and make sure... It, the planning process is supposed to be, and oftentimes, but not all the time but it's supposed to be a collaborative process between the planning department and the applicant so you're supposed to be working together and then you work it out this is what I want really this is what I need <laughs> yeah, exactly but this is, that's how it's supposed to be yeah. you're sort of giving and taking and you're working it out and you go this is the final scheme we're happy with they're going to recommend it for approval perfect it goes to the planning committee hopefully it gets approved that's how it's supposed to be but there's a lot of um and that's obviously where all the risk is. Yes. And and then outside of the planning risks, you've got a lot of risks like the ground. Yeah, so, I've heard. So you don't know what's going to... Until you do a um, a ground investigation, phase two... And they cost a bit of money, right? Oh, they're very expensive, thousands, thousands of pounds. So you t- until you do one of those, then you not, you don't know what the ground conditions are, so you want to get a borehole down and see if there's good ground there. So um, maybe you don't need to pile um, if, if it requires um, piling, then that's going to be a lot more money on your what build. Not a lot, but it's going to be more money on your build cost. What is piling for the listeners? Piling is just a form of your foundations. It's the structure. It's the substructure. So it's basically... Is it those long drill so, things that go in the ground and stay there? Yeah, exactly. So okay. uh, so if you're building a house, you may nece- you may only need to go down on your found- foundations, maybe a metre, metre and a half on your foundations. Okay. 
um, if you're building a very you know tall 15 story building then you 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 have to go a lot further down to secure the building basically so it's a, you're gonna have to pile if it's a, sh- a shorter building with less stories then you may not necessarily need to pile so that's going to add more to your build cost if you do need to so it just depends on the ground conditions so that those ground conditions can will impact the build cost basically and so the when, worse the ground conditions when do you assess ground conditions is it before you exchange or is it way so later? this is and this is where the risk is as well this is where the and this is where some of the problem is you've got um if you're doing a site or if you're putting an application in for a site that already has a building on there then you're unlikely to be able to do the ground investigation. And that's a risk you just... That's a massive risk, isn't it? You, you just take that risk, you're like... Oh, that's part of it, isn't it? You've got to factor that into what you'll pay. And also um, not just the ground condition, but also it could be contaminated. So there may be um, uh, certain material contaminants inside or gases that are... Um, or like a World War Two bomb. Or a bomb, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly, so you might need to do a UXO report and then you may need to come in and do a, um, another survey for that. So there's definitely loads of risks in the ground. That's where, for a developer, that's where a lot of your risk is in the ground. And then cleaning up contamination can cost tens of thousands of pounds, can't it? It's remediation, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes it can. the remediation can be done on site, so your um, engineer can design it, so you do working around uh... it safely. Sometimes you may need to cart it away that's going to be a lot more expensive yeah. sometimes you may be able to do remediation on site but that again has to be confirmed with the council but that's not something you really have to worry about until one until, half, yeah. until you're ready to build so that's where the risks are in this in this game okay or some of the risks yeah <laughs> and then so risk. so you bought it for 400k what was your uh, cost of build going to be or what is it going to be Build is coming in about four million. And how many stories is it? Six. Six floors. Six floors? How many rooms? Sixty one did you say? Is that what is it? Six it's been amended now, sixty eight. Sixty eight, four million. So is it quite high end? Or is that just a normal cost? That's just, I, that's just normal. Four million. Wow. So then you bought it for four hundred. <laughs> You're doing four. It's actually a really good price. I was getting well. Yeah, it sounds like it. You're doing four million on it. What's the GDV? No, I'm saying the build is a good price. Oh. Um, GDV. So all in. So there's other costs involved. So yeah. We, we, so we got outline planning, and then we had to do it. Um, uh, so outline planning with reserved matters. So then we had to do a reserved matters application. So okay. that's a separate application. So there's two. There's different types of planning. There's full planning. So you do pre-application. So that's just before you go in. It's not binding. You just get some advice from the council. So yeah. it's called pre-application. You put that in. And then from that point, you can go to an outline application. It's cheaper to submit an outline application in terms of the application fee. But like with Birmingham City Council, there's a lot of reports to provide still. So it's still pretty expensive. Yeah. And you've got the full application. And then after that, you've got to do the reserve matters application. <laughs> so that's when you can actually go on site. So that's full planning, if you like. Okay. Or you can go from pre-application straight to full planning. And that's when all the other fees. So there's there's... Okay. And I've learned this by first hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this isn't, um, I don't know if there's courses out there and stuff, maybe there are, but it's, I, I've I've learned it first hand. So again, 
this is where the risk comes in if you've never done it before. So I, I uh, was able to de-risk some of that by working with a developer that I know that's been through the process before. But, I mean, to be fair, I did 80-90% of the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to. And he didn't want to. He wasn't intending to. I, but that was all game. I wanted to because I, yeah, I was yeah. keen to learn. So that was like just over a couple of years back. But so now, I mean, and then after that, my second deal I did, I did it all myself. What are you all in for then, sorry, on this one? The, all costs all in, land development and everything, will be in the region about 4.7-ish. Okay. And the GDP? 7.2. Uh, conservative GDP or... It's, how do you, how do you work out GDP? Do you look at, like what we do for like Vitalets, look at comparables of... Think, how does it work for you? You can look at comparables for the yield. Okay. But it, you've got to, it's got to be valued on net operating income. Of course, it's commercial unit, isn't it? Technically. There's, so there's different there's different things that come into play. So you uh, comparables to a degree, but mm, yeah, in terms of net, in terms of what they're paying for it, in terms of the yield, but net operating income. So you've got to look at your what your rental is and mm-hmm. then take away all these expenses like management fees um, so, and student accommodation usually include utilities, utility costs all these other running costs so they come off the they come off the gross rent I see. all these running costs and that gives you your net rent doesn't include debt so you don't take into debt into, oh, okay. into consideration but you get your net rent so income minus costs that's your net rent and then that's the figure that's, that's what the accommodation is valued off Oh, but then that, that obviously that rent you get your rent from the condition of the building the location of the building yeah 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 so that's taken into consideration in the rental you're getting and then you knock off the other costs and then that, that okay that, that net figure so we're in for about 4.8 GDD 7.2 7.2 there's a lot of money there to be made on profit yeah how long Hopefully. so obviously you're, you're you're sort of you've just demolished the building right so from when you started it this is when you when you had offer accepted till when it's actually going to be ready to have student moving in how long is that going to be you reckon how long yeah that time frame there uh so we, let's say march got talking in march it probably signed in may 2017 and it should be ready for september 2020 so not too so, long two and a half years yeah i think to make that much money in two and a half years it's relative though isn't it some developers want to touch it really no it's a small deal for, for the student market a 68 bed deal is a, it's a small deal for i mean that kind of money you could retire off if you wanted to reinvest in other it stuff depends you what, could... depends what kind of retirement you want <laughs> but um I suppose some look at it that way. Some look at it, you know, there's a lot of money in, in one deal for sure. Yeah. Some look at it in terms of, you know, there's a million quid plus in it. But um, uh, for me, uh, yes, it's important to make money on it and for there to be profit because mm. it's got to be viable. The risk has got to be worth it. Of course. Uh, I'm, I'm more into doing the right deals rather than chasing the money so for instance if i know there's a site that i'm gonna be renting in a i don't know let's say 
great here's an example let's say i've got a a, a potential deal i know i can build 100 flats there but if i push and squeeze the room sizes i can probably get 120 flats and make a lot more money mm-hmm. i see what you're saying so i'd rather make less money and have a nicer scheme with bigger apartments and better designed apartments yeah. rather than go for poorer quality more apartments that's my driver some developers aren't into that course granted is. to them that's everyone each to each to their own they'll make a lot more money than me yeah but i'll have a better product so i'm more interested in having a better product uh better product always wins in the long term you know? exactly always. and that's what i'm about i'm about the i'm about the long run what mm. what does it look like long term I'm about delayed gratification. How does it look? How does it work for me long term? I'm, I'm a big part of my strategy is to retain a lot of the stuff okay. that I'm building. Some of it will inevitably be sold. Some of it will be built to be sold, certainly. But for the main part, it's about um, keeping most of it. And so that first deal, you talked about it very casually that you did it, you know, mostly yourself. All the planning process, all the kind of under, all the stress, all the understanding, all the kind of juggling a hundred things at once, was all you. But before that, you had no experience at this level. So apart from your confidence, what like what um what makes you so calm and may, and probably made you so calm about it during the time it was happening? Like, did you have income from properties that you thought you know what I can actually afford to? I was I could of, afford the risk. Yeah, I took the risk, but it was I could afford to. I could afford to take the risk. I, I'm not really a, a fan of. Um, maybe I'm. Something might do on the first big one. I don't know, but I'm not really a fan of taking the risk that you can't afford to lose on. You know, if you can. I could afford to lose that money. Basically, I could afford okay. to lose that planning fee money. It wouldn't have killed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it you paid for it yourself. It wouldn't have been nice. Yeah, 50-50 with my, with half okay. of my partner. So it wouldn't have been nice, but. Um, uh, I think a lot of people want big deals quickly. So people who are listening who are like, I've got oh, one by to let, I want to, I want to, you know, move up. bed. What would you, you can, say to them? You can do it, but don't do it alone. Partner. So do what I did. Partner with someone experienced that's done it before and do it that way. They'll bring in expertise that, look, when you're doing this, you've got, yes, you've got people that are employed by you. Uh, on the job, so you'll be using the services of an architect, M and E, planning consultant, all these people. Your interests are aligned, but not one hundred percent because they're still getting money from the transaction from you. Yeah. So, the way I see it, to be one hundred percent aligned with somebody else, you've got to have a partner on your side of the table, because yeah, they're gonna have their demands of what they they think is needed, and they're gonna charge you for it. And then you've got your demand. So, uh, great example. I um, this is recently actually. I got got a scheme we're getting planning on. We're going into planning with, and we need a uh, what is that we need? Training strategy. So we need to as as part of and that's another that's another requirement actually in, in terms of for planning applications drainage. So you've got to have a. Um, a proposal and sort of a, a design and um, for how you're going to drain water away from the site so how you're going to take away wastewater and, of course um, 
uh, Fowl and what's the other one? I forgot what it's called. Anyway, so to, to, to drain water from the site um, and take take any water away. My um, guy that was quoting for it came back and quoted for to do uh, to do that study and a CCTV survey. So this is to go. Um, it's a CCTV drainage survey, so they've got to take um, note of the condition underground. So you know if you can use the external uh, yeah, existing yeah, yeah. drains and stuff, basically. But that's not required at this stage. But I know that because firsthand I've done it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said no, I don't need that. But ordinarily he would have charged me an extra eight hundred a grand for it. Of course. But it, so it's a very small example. But I can I, I can relate that to other examples where it, there's a hundred grand cost in it. And you're not going to know that potentially if you're doing that for the first time and you've never done it before you wouldn't know that and information you no either, yeah. and you, exactly you wouldn't know ordinarily that that's not required because you wouldn't question what they're sending because they're the experts yeah, exactly yeah. you'd be thinking all right that's what you need for this part but i know firsthand that's not needed so i'm able to question things so by the time i did my second one system UI server. by the time i did the second one by myself i was able to uh, navigate the process a bit more competently because or competently should, I should say because I've, I've, I've been through it so I'd say partner with somebody bring someone in bring an experienced person to deal spread the risk and do it that way okay so before we move on to other deals your first deal where the, where the build cost is currently 4.8 keep forgetting four point eight all in you pay for planning Ooh. Well, development cost, build, land. And okay, yeah, yeah, so you, you've paid for planning. You've paid for surveys. Yeah. You've paid for the exchange and you will pay for completion. Demolition. So. It's expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> who's paying for the rest? Like, who's paying for the actual build cost? You're lending, you're borrowing that, right? Yeah, bank. And what kind of interest rate do you get on a loan of, say, four million? <laughs> uh, ranges from, it depends who the bank is, how much equity you're putting up. And uh, just how the bank views you. So it can range from if you're getting it from a really good uh, clearing bank and you've got a, a quite a large equity contribution, i.e., the cash you're putting in to the cost of the development, so the loans of cost is pretty low. Then you can pay if you've got a really good relationship as low as 4%. A year? 4%, yeah. That's not, well, they're borrowing such a huge That's amount. That's not common. Yeah, but you've got to have a lot of equity and a good relationship with the bank, and so as low as that, or it can be as high as tenish percent. And what sort of, and maybe this works differently with like land, but what sort of loan to overall cost are you getting? If that makes sense. So how much of the total costs of you are you being loaned? Um, I think we're up about I think we're eighty. That's pretty good. Yeah. To be able to build a site of that size and only put in twenty percent. I know twenty percent of that is a lot. That's a lot of doors. (laughs) And so, are you using investors to fund any of this, or is it purely you, your partner, and a bank? Yeah. Exactly. To no investors. Well, apart from his. Well, yeah, he's apart from him, and he's in effect an investor as well, isn't he? Okay. I mean. Wow. And then so. But he's put up majority of the money. I see, which is why you've probably done most of the work then in terms of the hands-on stuff. Okay. 
So I did a lot of the work during planning. Now we've got to the build side. It's had his input a bit more, but then we've got a project manager as well. So yeah. Everyone has their input. Okay. So my my work again. So I did I did majority of the work to get the planning, the um, the actual the design stuff is actually done by all the consultants really they're all doing the work we just sort of manage the process we've got a project manager that manages that so there hasn't been that much for me to do during this process really I've helped with the funding and making sure we've got um, the right information in terms of rentals and figures and all that sort of stuff so we've produced that sort of stuff at this stage the next bit where it really kicks in for me is that I operate my schemes as well because I give my sort of experience well, so that's when it kicks manage it exactly okay. so that will kick in again so it's the planning application and then it's sort of managing that bit but you have a project manager that's really taking or should be taking control of that during the technical design and then I kick back in full force when it comes to the operational side and do you hire interior designers for your place or is every are you making you need to say you want the best kind of quality product do you make sure that your studios look way different to the market just it the basics you've got to do are, yeah. won't change in terms of obviously you've got to have a good infrastructure in terms of Wi-Fi um, or room access controls the um, fact you know, others are like having our suites and double beds those things are pretty much standard the design stuff is actually quite good as well so making sure it's designed and quite inviting and that people are going to want to live there That's that's a big part of it uh, another side is really about the experience and how you manage the accommodation and, and treat tenants and how you make them feel. So that's where really you're going to separate yourself. So again, everyone can, and I've seen this in the HMO market, and this is one of the reasons why I actually came out of doing uh, some of the rent-to-rents, because I then was starting to compete with other rent-to-renters and landlords that were spending six figures on their property, I, I couldn't compete with. Of course, I'm never yeah. going to spend that on my rent to rent. And I couldn't compete that I couldn't just couldn't compete with their offering. So if I've got a a nice five bed house with two bathrooms, and I've got a nice six bed house with six on suites and a fancier kitchen and nicer furniture, and then next door, and it's a similar rent, I'm str- probably going to struggle. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to. In comparison, I'm gonna have a bit more of a difficult time trying to let mm. the accommodation. Um, mm. So you can have all the fancy stuff on these schemes, but really, it comes in the end, it's gonna come down to how you treat people and how you make them feel. Okay, and then moving on That's to stand up. No, I think you know what it's important because a lot of people see property as like the bricks and mortar, but there's people in it who are paying your bills. There's people in it who are buying it off you. So you're not hearing enough about the tenants, do you? You hear a lot about, oh, uh, and this is what um, I was, I've actually been thinking about recently and some of the stuff that I'm, I put out on my content on Instagram and other stuff is of other places where I'm quite active. I've kind of thought, actually, I'm going to make this a bit more about, not make it a bit more, I'm going to show a bit more about what it actually is mm-hmm. because I actually I'm, I'm showing a bit, quite a bit of the, um, the the development side and the planning side. And actually, that's where that's where I'm at anyway, the stage I'm at, but... I'm actually going to show a bit more about the tenant side, which is, and the resident and the experience side, which mm. is sort of probably a key thing that I'm concerned about, to be honest. I've got, mm. um, I've got intentions and ambitions to, to, to 
create a large portfolio, but I'm not going to do it and sacrifice tenant experience and having tenants long term. And it's your core value, exactly, exactly. Hmm. Okay, that's my biggest drive. So that deal is in progress. Yeah. Have you done any more big ones since? Uh, or in the yeah, I've got a few. I've got a few. Doing Birmingham's first co-living scheme. So that's in the that's in the pipeline. That's in planning or oh, pre-planning. So when you say first co-living scheme, what? Because most pe- people kind of who have really nice high-end HMOs would call that co-living. What do you mean by Birmingham's first co-living? I mean it as in purpose-built co-living scheme. So you mean like a, a tower? I mean like specifically built for the co-living. Uh, you know, people that you target for co-living instead of converting a house or a factory or something. You or you're building it from the ground up. Yeah, so the ground up technically, is it a very swaggy HMO? Like just so people can understand what you... I wouldn't call it a HMO. I just... So is, is it all rooms or... It's an apartment complex. That's what I'd call it. So the co-living aspect, so they're sharing kitchens and baths or... No, so they, so they share... So think of student halls. Mm-hmm. The makeup of student halls generally is you've got cluster flats. So by these cluster flats, I mean you may have four people living in a yeah. flat. Each of these four people have their own bedrooms and have on suites in those rooms, mm-hmm. and then you've got a shared kitchen sort of lounge area. It's a four see. bed cluster flat. That's okay. what you'd call that. So that's what the co living will have. Okay. So they'll have cluster flats ranging from two to five or six bedroom flats oh. with shared kitchens, but they'll have their own bathrooms. And then you'll also have self contained flats, or studios, or okay, one bed flats. I see. And they'll have their own kitchen and bath, and it's just for the people within that self-contained flat but the cool thing this is where the co-living separates itself is that it should really be about the community uh-huh. and encouraging people to interact and engage with each other and share these spaces so uh, what's been seen so far and it's still new but what's happened so far in co-living is that there's a lot of um, amenity space it's quite expansive so you'll often find um, maybe a bar area a library lounge areas places to chill places to work so the scheme i've got planned it's like absolutely crazy um i'm I'm just fingers crossed it it, it works out we've got a bowling alley planned for it that's cool crazy um so bowling alley co-working space i was going to say that's that's important there's a lot of co-working space planned for it meeting rooms have you got the land for it already yeah, it's already deal's been done. Bill's, the deal was done a while ago. We've got plans all ready. It's just waiting for to submit our friends at the planning department. Yeah, we're, we're getting. <laughs> we're just about to. We're just getting ready to submit the plans actually. And how many beds or how, yeah, how many units will it be? I think within it. Beds is I can't remember the actual unit, but beds. But so a four or five bed cluster that's classed as a unit technically. Oh, okay, so I can't fine. remember the units, but in terms yeah. of beds, surround should be about two hundred and fifty. And this is in central Birmingham. Central Birmingham. How many stories is that going to be? Quite a few. Um, let's see what let's see what happens. Process. <laughs> that sounds well, awesome. Well, it's, it's, it's not a it's not a uh, low rise at all. It's, it's a mid to. And what are the figures on that? Um, in terms of purchase cost and then GDV. Difficult to say. GDV, I can give you. The other stuff's difficult to say, and I just I can't talk about it right now. Fair enough. The um, GDV on that is the regional twenty five million, and is but that done commercially as well based on the? Income? Oh, that's net operating income. That's obvious. That's pretty big. Oh, it's a 
Big Deals Only? <laughs> it's my hashtag. Is that, is, that the only, hashtag. is that the only culling space in the UK of, at that GDV? Or are there no, no, it's huge. No, no, that's a... As, as, as big I'm looking at I mean some of the stuff I'm looking at and working on right now is a lot bigger than that wow. so um, there's, there's I know about less than half a dozen schemes in the UK that are there's, I think there's one or two operational and the rest just are planning it's very new oh. but it's a it's a it's a market that's just ripe yeah you're it's ripe yeah. you know you've got these at least for now, the demographic that's being targeted by me and a lot of other providers, um, by so my company, Volume Property, and a lot of other providers are in that region of sort of 21 to 35, that sort of age range, the young professional, you graduated, but you're not quite ready or in a position to maybe rent your own place or buy your own place. So you don't want to because mm-hmm. you've got the community vibe and you know meet people, mix, mix, um, mix of others and that sort of thing. Uh, you've got four, five, six hundred, seven, eight hundred. I think the biggest one's probably seven hundred beds that, that I'm aware of. Where Huge schemes. Uh, there's one in um, Sheffield that's planned. Wow. That's a mixed one. That's mixed students and um, co-living. There's one in Manchester. There's one in. Um, there's a couple in London that have been approved. So do big, you know, big schemes? A lot of people hundreds. when they talk about HMOs, they talk about saturation, right? You probably hear this a lot. Um, when people are talking about HMOs or rent to rent, saying, "Oh, you know, and oh, is, is it going to work in this area? You know, are there too many HMOs? Is co-living or HMOs overly done in an area? You're about to build a huge block of them. How are you confident in the supply? Is it based on purely sort of economic factors and the fact that Birmingham is growing at an incredible rate, or do you do like solid statistical research? Bit of both. It's it's mainly the former because it, if we look at there's there's Definitely research that has been done in, in terms of the number of students that stay on once they've graduated for Birmingham. It's in the region of 40% of uh-huh. students stay on that, that study in the city. It's quite a high figure. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, obviously, some move home and some move to London, other parts of the country. So some of it's based on statistics. Some of it's based on how many, how many students are here, how many people are actually renting HMOs at the moment because our product... And the unique thing about Birmingham is Birmingham is there's not really HMO areas in Birmingham that's walking distance to the city centre. I see, okay. So you've got the likes of Edgebaston, mm-hmm. you've got um, Selly Oak, you've got Moseley, Kings Heath, Erdington. These areas are quite highly saturated now with HMOs, but they're not really walking distance. They're at the best, you're probably going to get 20 minutes walking distance. At the best, but I don't think it's that. It's probably more closer to um, in a region of 30 minutes plus. So a lot of people are commuting to work and to the city centre, so they're getting the bus driving, that sort yeah. of thing. So there's the, they don't even have the option to live in the city centre without paying the high prices for yeah, renting yeah, an yeah. apartment, one or two bed, or buying somewhere. So you look at how many people are in the HMO, so it's a mixture. It's a mixture. There's there's a there's a huge market at least on the student side. I know there's um, uh, sixteen thousand from the, I think last time I checked sixteen thousand students living in HMOs mm-hmm. in Birmingham. That's just on the student side. If if let's say forty percent of those stay on, okay, that makes sense. Where do they move to? That makes sense, and obviously everyone listening has heard 
big deals only here so far. That's what we've spoken about. How did that, I guess let's call it a philosophy and a way of, uh, I guess, being and the way you run your business, how did that come about? Like, obviously some people love buy to lets, they'll have 200 of them, happy days. Some love HMOs, some love big deals only. What, did something frustrate you about the kind of smaller stuff that you said, right, forget it. I'm doing big deals, big risk, big time frames. 100%. I was frustrated with the fact that it was the same amount of work to manage. Um, and, and in fact, in, in fact, managing 20, 30 HMOs compared to managing 20 or 30 apartments in the building is very different. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a lot easier to manage them in the building. Obviously, you've got in the 20, 30 HMOs, you've got 20, 30 different gardens, 20, 30 yeah. different roofs, boilers, kitchens, um, kitchen issues, all these sort of different potential issues. On a, an apartment block, you've probably got one entrance hall, maybe one, one, uh, one post area. If it's a student accommodation scheme, you've got a plant room potentially that heats the building. So there's one heating system instead of 20, 30 different boilers. So it just, from an economical and uh, operational perspective, it makes so much sense to build the apartment block. It's just, obviously it's a it's the different figures, you know, you've got to add on the zero. Yeah, a couple maybe, of zeros sometimes, two, yeah. In order to do those kind of deals. Uh, so it, it's more about the level of thinking so that, yes it was down to frustrations with or realizing that my time was best spent um and the potential to make a better and have a better return um for my time and resources was on the bigger stuff so it was really about how do i work and gear myself towards that line hmm i see and you know, is there is there one piece of advice that you would give anyone listening who is maybe they've got a few properties, maybe they haven't, they're thinking they want to get into big deals only, but maybe they're worried about all the challenges we've spoken about, all the costs, all the issues. Is there one single thing you could say to them that maybe would change their mind or give them a kick backside? Big deals only. F- for me, I just, so when I say big deals only, and I've got a hashtag and I put this on Instagram and stuff, what I mean by big deals only is more about getting outside of your comfort zone. And so I've found, and I know it as a matter of fact, is when you re- make real progress in life and really achieve something personally, not in business, but when you achieve something as an individual, it's usually when you've operated outside of your comfort zone. So doing something that you're not used to doing and doing something that isn't, really easy to do mm-hmm. so big deal zone is more about operating outside of your comfort zone so what's big to me may not be big to you may not be big to somebody else i've spoken about my seven mil gdb deal and 25 mil there's certain developers that wouldn't touch that certain developers only looking at 50 million plus yeah so to to uh, to them my deals or those deals there are small deals yeah so it's relative so it's relative but to me, as I'm working on it, and at that point, for sure, it was a big deal. And I mean, to be fair, even now, it's a sizable deal. Um, so it's really about, it's really about a state of mind. When I say big deals only, but yes, it also relates to the fact that I'm actually working on sizable deals. So yeah, there was a massive driver for, um, for just pushing my comfort zone and doing bigger deals. 
in terms of piece of advice what, what for somebody that wants to work on bigger stuff yeah but they may be stuck by either most of the time it's our own mindset right like it's oh mind. it's too big it's too expensive where so am i gonna always. yeah so what, what would you say if, if anything experience first but prioritize getting the experience so if you can somehow yes there's it's good learning all the theory but somehow get some experience behind you and get someone on board that already has done it before that knows what they're doing get them on board and try and work with them even if it means you bring them a deal mm. you take no money no share but in return you get to work on a deal and have some direct experience work its way you take that mm. you take that because then you'll learn firsthand what it takes and what's involved and make sure you have an active role and then you're a winner if you can somehow retain share in a deal or you've got money to put in yourself and you partnered with somebody and obviously that's a good way to, to learn and to, and to be hands on so I'd say partner with somebody but you've got to bring some something valuable to the table yeah, yeah, yeah. don't do what I did in the past <laughs> and what people definitely do today just send a link somewhere do some fancy JV mate yeah. JV <laughs> right move link everyone's seen already yeah and that deal would have been everywhere before it got online anyway well yeah so that makes it even more challenging it's not to say there aren't deals online there's definitely deals online uh, but it's much, a lot more yeah. difficult to do so do some work on it first but you You've really got to, uh, the biggest thing you've got to do if you're going to bring a deal, but that, the best thing is you've got to have a great deal. It's not going to work if the numbers don't stack. Yeah. And you've got to leave yourself some margin there. You've got to put in that risk element because you don't know where it's going to go. That, uh, I've got a site at the moment. I demolished, it's not that one, it's another one. Demolished the site and we've had some issues with the neighbouring building now. We've got to underpin that building. <laughs> But it's just how it is. You're never going to know. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're never going to know that that building was taken. It, it was, wasn't was so much taken. Um, well, some of the film material that they had on the their building was taken some kind of very low-level basic support from our wall building. Oh, I see. Even though their building was built after ours. So that's another thing. So their building was built after ours, against ours. Uh, and we've got to do some work there just to put the wall back and stuff but it just it's weird it's a bit more complex than it sounds in, in terms of how to explain it but there's risk there that you're just not going to know so that margin needs to take into account that because you just you don't know where it's going to go so again it's high risk there's high rewards it's not for everyone some people that I speak to they've already done well in property and then they say to me Look, I think I should be doing big stuff and I say well you've already done well why would you want to create the problems for yourself? It comes down to your end. Yeah. What are your end goals? If your yeah. end goals are to um, just uh, be financially free, so-called, and earn five grand a month or 10 grand a month. You don't need to do what you're doing at all. You do not need to do this. It's a headache for no reason. Get a few houses going, get a few HMOs, maybe um, hedge the portfolio a bit, have a different, different sort of assets. You might have an apartment or an essay and you might have a, HMO and a few single lets. You're good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. M make sure they're looked after well. Make sure you, your tenants are treated well. You're in. That's all you need to do. Or you do one smaller deal. You don't need to do a seven mil GDV. You could do a, a one mil GDV deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could be you could be set. So it really comes down to your end goals, and then then you've got to work out are you willing to take that sort of risk. So for me, it's not so much about. Uh, as I said, it's not so much about the money. I could actually, 
if if I wanted to retire just on working on the stuff I got, obviously I could potentially just stop. Yeah. Make yeah. sure they're running well, and that would be it if I was happy with. But I'm I'm more about pushing. Uh, my own boundaries. I do it for if I'm honest. I do it for myself. It's on my own ego, <laughs> sadly. And <laughs> it's just really working out how much I can achieve. How can I? How much can I yeah. push it? And on the back of pushing it, I get to provide a really great service, and really great accommodation to yeah. people that hopefully want to stay um, as long as possible. Solid. I think that's great advice. I think always have to start at the end because, like you said, you, you may not need a tenth of what you're going to be making in these deals to be happy and be content so always start there first. write down your goals work backwards what do you need right what does it look like uh you know partnering with someone i think is great advice i've done it in a way where i just shadow them i walk around them like a lost puppy i just learn so much and like you know people do it with me they'll like earn and learn they'll lend me money to buy a house they oh, get wow. a return and i teach them how to buy a buy to let and people no probably wins. think i've got two properties yet people are still wanting to learn because I've bought two of them. I've been through two lots of headaches. Well, it's two more than them if they don't have any. Well, exactly, right? So you've got more experience, haven't you? And that's yeah. the confidence that I want the listeners to get from this is that it doesn't matter. You've got one, two, three, five, ten, whatever. You're always going to know more than someone else. So you may be the partner for someone else and then what, at the same time you're partnering someone else. Very true. So last question here. You're a bit of a, a star on Instagram. That's how I think uh, Your engagement is very good. People, what, engagement level? Yeah, like people really comment, they really yeah. talk to you, I see, so you know. I've got a small following, but do you know what? A, but that's what matters, That's a good man. following. I'd rather have, you know. Oh, I'd rather that. Yeah, 100%. It's small, but it's a good following. People that, I get a lot of DMs, I get a lot of comments. So, and what, I'll like, call myself a star. <laughs> but the, the comments, uh, people engage, I love it. And, and love why it. do you think people engage? And I'll tell you why I think after you want. Why do I think people engage yeah. on my content? I think, um, I think I'm very honest with what I mm-hmm. put out there. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I'm not a flashy person. I don't um, boast about anything. I just explain. Look, this is what I'm doing. Have a look. Um, any questions? Let me know. So I think I'm. I think it comes across as quite personable on there. Yeah, 100%. and that's how I am. I'm just how I am with you is how I am with sort of. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is how I am in general, and I think. Or I like something that comes across on my social media that I'm just a, a normal person doing um, something that I enjoy. Yeah. I think people feel um, probably feel like they can relate to me a bit more, so that's why yeah. I engage. That's exactly what I was gonna say. You're authentic, and you come across like when I watch your videos, I'm like, you're you're definitely like this in real life. You can just tell when I met you, I was like, you're like the same, not not like a percent different. And people can see that, and I think they whilst you're doing huge deals, which for a lot of people sounds unobtainable and sounds like a hundred steps in the future when obviously we've discussed it's not instantly it does it does sound like that but you put it across in such a like just chilled way like you'll say the figures seven million whatever it is in such a chilled like this is normal this is my day-to-day thing and i think when people hear that it makes it more normal for them Mm. and so they're like oh okay i (laughs) can do this i can be him in x many years or months right and again, it's that personable, the relatable, the authentic self that comes across. And like, you're not selling courses. You're not selling anything. You're just documenting your journey. So again, people, as weird as it, people trust people who aren't selling more, even if they are slightly selling, which you're not. So I think you've got a lot of factors which attract people to you, which is why you have the engagement, right? Mm. Because you're just, you, it is to summarise it, oh, basically. That's quite positive. Thanks for yeah. the um, 
you know, it's what it's what I've noticed as well. As when we, when I first started following you, I I, I don't you know because I'm not into. I don't want to be known for selling stuff, and I'm yeah, not yeah, into yeah. selling stuff. I'm not into running courses. I'm like, you don't need to looking courses you know, out there. Yeah. Oh no, I don't need to either. But there's there's definitely some, and you know, some of these guys are making a ton of money. Oh, selling they're making more money than sure. we are in property. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, you know what? No, on on those that are actually doing well in property. Oh yeah, those that really are doing. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. They're not selling courses. And as I say, they're not even on Instagram, they're not on YouTube. <laughs> but yet. they will be soon, but yet. as we spoke about as it I say, on exactly. your post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yet. So they're, so, so they're missing out at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, thanks for the... Um, no, that's that's just how I see it. Though. So I, I wanted to get you on for a while, but I just forgot to ask. I, just, I keep watching the videos and I'm like, okay, I'll ask him, I'll ask him. And then I, just, <laughs> I keep going. And then so it's good you reached out. So I think thank you so much for coming on. I think you've delivered a lot of value here. Um, I think we should definitely do a catch-up episode in like six months or a year. Happy to. Whenever, because you're going to face a lot more challenges um, and there'll be a lot more learning for people. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, um, where can they find you? And also tell them about your event that's coming up as well if they want to come and see you in person. Yeah, that event is... If you know what uh, it is. Oh, it's 12th of September. 12th of September. But hopefully this is hopefully goes out before then. So um, oh yeah, it might not. <laughs> it might not go out before then. So I was thinking, but my so I, I I host meetups every now and again, and and again I don't charge for these meetups. I I don't um I don't do uh, I don't charge for mentorships or anything like that. I, I, in fact, I don't really do mentorships. Um, I, well, I don't do mentorships and I don't charge for anything because it's not what I do. I'm just showing showing my journey. Hopefully, people get to think they can do it as well. I mean, what you mentioned earlier, actually going off track a bit, what you mentioned earlier about how I just mentioned maybe a seven million yeah, pound yeah. deal, I guess it, it it is normal to me now. And it has to be normal for you. It has to be normal. And, and it's very normal. And in fact, it's sort of on the small side for me, actually. I mean, I wouldn't look at another deal like that again for now. So I'm only looking at larger stuff. So I, I guess... Um, well, you can call me and I'll JV, I'll do all the work on that. You'll do it. You taught me everything else. <laughs> no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Seize the opportunity there. Of course. Um, uh, no, so it's, it's just good that uh, if people are seeing that and notice, noticing that, then like, I'd feel so amazing if they feel like they can go on to achieve it because in the end, that's all it is. It's just, yeah. bit, it's just a different number. You're doing the same thing, the numbers just adjust. Uh so that so, so that's that. But you can find me on uh, Instagram. So it's just Anthony Laville, L A V I W L E L E. Anthony Laville. Uh, that's my Instagram, and I'm on YouTube. Similar thing. Just search my YouTube, Anthony Laville. I'll put all the links in for your pages and, and for your upcoming event, depending on when it gets released. Twelfth of September. Yeah, it might, September, it, might get, September. it might get released before then. So we're going to announce the uh, the location. Actually, the, the tickets are going like today. a secret gig. You announce the location like. <laughs> Like Jake Hall's going to be here at this yeah, time. Yeah, that's it. That. There you go. <laughs> um, so tickets are actually being released today um, from 6pm. So I'll have to... I'll have to uh, I, I'm going to... I'll put another post on Instagram. So if you have... Uh, if this isn't going to go out on time. I doubt it. So if you've missed this, don't worry. I do these meetups every few months. I don't charge. They're free. I do one in London. Oh, okay. And I do one in... Uh, this is my first one I'm doing in Birmingham. And I'll just do a few each year. And that's it. It's a good. People reach out to me on Instagram and comments and direct message and on YouTube and everywhere. Mm. To, to be fair, and they want to meet and stuff. And I think well, this Do is a good, once, yeah, yeah. It's a good way to meet a bunch of people. They meet each other, 
and I don't know what's going on yet. I'll, I'll hear stories soon enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to it, but I'm pretty sure. I know people are, that I've met at my events. They've met there and they're they're talking. So hopefully some of them will do business together. Naturally, yeah. Um, so it'd be good to hear the stories in a little while. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks, thanks again. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.